It's good to see you this morning. How are you doing out there? Everybody doing good? Hallelujah. All right. It's good to be up here. Uh, going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25 today. So get your Bible open and get ready. Uh, first of all, I want to let you know that I, I caught a little flack uh, from the message last week for the pronunciation of a word in these first few verses. Can any of you guess which word it was? Theophilus. I mean, what's y'all's problem, man? Theophilus? I mean, who cares? Who cares? Theophilus, Theophilus, tomato, tomato. Didn't your parents teach you that? Okay, anyway. <laughs> His name is Theophilus, okay? It's the delta in me, okay? You know what they say, you can take the boy out of the delta, but you can't take the delta out of the boy. There you go, there you go. All right, so let's begin. Uh, we looked last week at Luke chapter 1, and the primary point that Luke, Dr. Luke is making is this, this orderly account. Verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you most excellent. Let me hear it. Theophilus. Theophilus. All right, very, very good. So today, verses 5 through 25. So where are we in history is the first question that we need to know if we're going to understand the context and the magnitude of the things that are about to happen here. Well, we have just come out of what's called the intertestamental period of the Bible. And what my professors and teachers have done all their lives is they go to Malachi, and then hopefully your Bible will have like a blank page in between Malachi, in between the Old and New Testaments. And I just write 400 years on there to let me know that there's 400 years between the end of Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament. So it's the intertestamental period. There are two dates. And again, don't, don't, don't try to write all this down. I, I'm emailing out my, my messages to you, so I'll email this out. And if you don't have your email address on record with us, put, put it on one of those guest, guest slips and leave it out there and we'll get it. And you'll get a copy of this and you can have the preacher's sermon. Amen? But don't judge me, okay? Okay. So, the start date for the intertestamental period is the prophet Malachi at 420 B.C., and then that goes through the appearance of John the Baptist in the early first century. So this is at the end of the intertestamental period, 400 years. Verse 5 tells you in the days of Herod. That name's familiar to you if you've read your Bible very much. Okay, this was Herod the Great... And Herod the Great reigned as a Jewish ruler for Rome from 37 to 4 B.C., and that was over 2,050 years ago when he reigned. So this era, this era would have been a major time of, tr of transition on the world stage. Transitioning to a time of Rome emerging as the dominant world power for the next several hundred years. That time frame is also called by historians the Pax Romana. Who's ever heard that before? The Pax Romana or the Pax Theophilus, Theophilus, Pax, Pax, Pax Romana, okay? All right. So the peace of Rome, the peace of Rome. So God closed the Old Testament canon with the final verse of Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That sounds pretty serious, does it not? So who are they looking for to indicate that end times are coming or that the Messiah is about to come? Elijah, exactly. So then 400 years pass. 
400 years. And God does not speak nor raise up a prophet. 400 years of silence from God to his people. And during this 400 years, we see Gentile empires come and go from the earth. If you remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream in the book of Daniel and the statue, and Daniel in, in, interpreted that and showed us all the different, the different nations that would rise and fall to the very end when the Roman Empire was there, the Roman Empire coming to power with Augustus Caesar in 31 BC. So that's where we are. The Roman Empire has risen to dominance. And then we read in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no what? Child. Because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. So first of all, I've already given you a little bit of, of Herod, but let's go a little bit deeper into this man that is called Herod the Great. He had been nominated king of Judea by the Roman Senate in the year 40 BC. He was given an army and he was encouraged to create a kingdom for himself. He was what was called an Idumean or an Edomite whose lineage is very difficult to trace and very complex to explain, history calls him brilliant, crafty, capable, and cruel. One historian went so far to call him a diabolical monster. He was the one who would order all the baby boys killed in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas in order that no one would be able to take his title away from him, which was what? King of the Jews. This era is also the time that we call Second Temple Judaism, which all of the, of the Jews' activity revolved around the Second Temple, which was actually built by Herod himself. It was large and beautiful and took decades to finish. So that's Herod the Great. So who is Zechariah, the priest of the tribe of Levi in the division of Abijah? Who is this godly man who will be the father of John the Baptist? Well, Zechariah was a priest, a priest in the division of Abijah. Now that's, to me, I was like, okay, well, I don't really remember that as I'm reading this, so I have to go back and I have to study some. During the reign of David, the priest had been organized and categorized into 24 divisions. You see this in 1 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 1 through 6. And this organization was reaffirmed by Solomon in 2 Chronicles 8, 14. So Zechariah belonged to the 8th division of Abijah. It's really interesting to study history because you find out in Ezra chapter 2, only four divisions of priests returned from exile in Babylon. And then these four were divided into 24 and given the old names. And so this, these priests would serve twice a year. Each division was on duty in the temple and each time the period of service was one week. So the story that we are reading today, this true story about Zechariah and Elizabeth, happens upon this time when the priesthood under Abijah comes to the temple to serve. Next, we find out about Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. And we find out that she is of the daughters of Aaron. Do we rem who remembers Moses and Aaron? 
you remember Moses and Aaron, correct. So God appointed Aaron the original first high priest that all other priests would descend from. So Elizabeth was a descendant of the high priest Aaron. So it was obviously considered a huge blessing for a Levitical priest to marry a wife of priestly descent. So Zechariah was deeply honored by the people and God for this to have been the case. So next we find out that Zechariah and Elizabeth were what? Righteous and walked blamelessly. We've heard that before in the Old Testament, have we not? Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and walked blamelessly. We've heard that about Noah. We've heard that about Abraham. We've heard that about Job. And we've heard that about Daniel. So what does it mean to be righteous and blameless according to the New Testament? Well, the words that follow in the, in the, in the Bible explain it to us. Walking blamelessly in all the what? Commandments and statutes of the Lord. So Zechariah and Elizabeth had the faith of their father Abraham. They were obviously sinners, but they had been obedient to the law and the prophets, much like Paul would say in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6. He would say, as to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. So, as we read this true story... Everything sounds absolutely wonderful for these two privileged people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, until we hit verse 7. And in verse 7, it just grinds it to a halt when we read these words. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. You know, our culture today is much different than in, the, in this time of the Jews. Would you agree with that? Yes, much different. Sadly, many consider pregnancy a nuisance in today's culture that can be eliminated if desired. We know the horror of abortion and the number of children whose lives are ended regularly here and around the world. But with the ancients... Most of them saw barrenness and the lack of being able to have children as a curse from God and a tragedy. Not always the case. Not always the case. Childlessness was something to be avoided at all costs. They wanted as many children as possible for many different reasons, primarily because children were seen as a what? Blessing. Blessing, which they are. Can I get a witness? Blessing. Blessing, blessing. Sometimes we wonder, amen? <laughs> but overall, they are a tremendous blessing. Tremendous. We can still hear the barren Rachel saying to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Genesis 30, verse 10. We can remember how the barren Hannah suffered at the hands of Penina, who antagonized her year after year after year as they went to the tabernacle for festivals. For many barren, grieving wives, dreary days and sleepless nights were somewhat brightened by the hope that the situation might still change. But for Zechariah and Elizabeth, this flame of hope had begun to flicker and grow dim as they were both, what? Advanced in years. We would say, what? Old, yeah. 
So this crisis of barrenness, however, awakens the ears and makes the heart race of the one that, that knows the history of Israel. Amen? It does. Because multiple times in Scripture, barrenness of the womb has ironically and miraculously provided the gateway of the fulfillment of the promises of God. Proving that pregnancy, the pregnancy, could only happen unless God, what? Intervened. Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, this would be Zechariah, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Wow, something big's about to happen. Amen? Something big's about to happen. So he was chosen by Lot to burn incense. Let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about the Lot for a second. Each day, the various functions of the priesthood were chosen by Lot. The most important part of the temple service was the burning of the incense. Now, we're not certain exactly how they chose by lot or exactly how they used the Urim and the Thummim. Now, a simple example for us as American citizens would be if there is a task that somebody does not want to do or something very good that only one person can experience or the one that has to jump out of the lifeboat and try to swim for help, what do we do? Draw straws. And then the, either the short straw or the long straw is the person that has to do the good deed or the deed that nobody else wants to do. So it's similar to something like that, although not exactly like that. So the choosing, the purpose of the choosing by lot was to keep any one person from dominating one special position of service. So the lot was a way to make certain God was choosing the one who served in specific areas. Now get this. 18,000 priests. 18,000 priests at the time of the selection of Zechariah. Now we don't know exactly how many were in the group of Abijah, but I can promise you there were hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, and the lot fell to Zechariah. The odds of that are incredible. And he had been, this, this was not his first rodeo, because it says that Zechariah was what? Advanced in years. He had been serving as a priest his entire life. But at this particular time, advanced in years, he is chosen by lot, by God, to go in and offer the sacrifice of incense. So this opportunity to be the priest that burned the incense right outside the most holy place was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and experience. Zechariah had never done it before, and once he had done this, guess what? He would never get to do it again. As a priest, you got one shot, one chance to offer the offering of incense in the holy place. And if you had done it before and by some chance the lot fell to you, guess what? They did the lot over again because you could not do it twice. Once and only once. And this particular time, the lot fell to 
Zacharias. Zacharias, excuse me. You ever heard the term in the right place at the right time? That's Zechariah. This incredible plan of God coming and intersecting the divine and human. Now, the incense was offered twice a day, once in the morning and in the evening, and scholars are divided. Was this the morning? Was this the evening? We don't know. We think it's possibly evening, but we don't know for sure. The process of the sacrifice went like this. The priest would bear, would bear a, a, a ladle with incense, and the priest, accompanied by a second priest, would hold coals in a similar ladle. They would enter the court of Israel, offer the incense, prostrate themselves, and then retire, leave. Following the sacrifice, the priest would go outside into the court and announce the ironic, the ironic blessing on the steps of the sanctuary. And the recitation of the blessing was the only time that a priest was permitted to vocalize the divine name of Yahweh instead of substituting Adonai. So once that was done, he would walk outside and give the ironic blessing. So get this. While he is in the middle of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity of burning the incense, he suddenly notices that an angel of the Lord appears to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. The angel would be standing in between the golden altar on his left and the menorah on his right. And Zechariah sees him on the right side of the altar of incense, which is the side of honor. So this is a good visit, indicating this is a positive visit. Verse 12, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will what? Bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and, the, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Whoa! In the power of who? Yeah, Malachi 4, remember? To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah had a really good day, did he not? Once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. Year in, year out, day in, day out. Priest's been going in there making those incense offerings twice a day for years and years and years and years. None of them came out with an angel story, amen? But Zechariah did that day. And not only did he come out with an angel story, he came out with Elijah's story. Boy, that word brought chills on the back of the neck to Israelites because that was the signal that they looked for to know that their Messiah was coming. And Zechariah had this information. So Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear fell upon him. I mean, I, I would definitely say that, that fear would probably be the proper response from a human to an angel. Would you agree with that? I, I mean, imagine your response. You are conducting an act of worship and service for your people, and then as you're, you're preparing, praying, and the incense is rising up, you suddenly see movement, and you look, 
And there's an angel in the holy place. Never heard of it before, but here it is happening to me, Zechariah, an angel of the Lord. You've never seen one before. You've never seen one since. I mean, have you ever seen something for the first time and it scared you half to death? You ever been out in the woods and a bear run up on you? You ever been out in the woods and a wolf run up on you? Coyote? That happened to me when I was about 15 years old. Deer hunting on our, on our just place we went for years and years and years. I've got my 270. I'm in the woods, you know, just sitting there waiting. And I mean a coyote. I catch this movement out of the right corner of my eye. And I look in there. It's a pretty good-sized coyote. And he is galloping straight toward me by the tree. And then I raise up. And I take aim because I, I, I think he sees me and he's coming to attack me. He didn't see me. I was camouflaged and sitting right by a tree, so he couldn't see me. He was just running. And I aimed up and I pulled the trigger and guess what happened? Click. I'm not kidding. This really happened. This is not an embellished story. That's exactly what happened. And then I panic and I'm trying to chamber another bullet. And that coyote hears the click and he stops. And he looks around and then I went, ah, 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 ah. and then he ran off. Thank God. Now, I doubt Zechariah thought about, la, 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 you know, scaring the angel off. But he was scared to half to death seeing this angel. Scared half to death seeing him. But the angel said to him, verse 13, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Is that not one of the most comforting things to know? In this entire account, God hears our prayers. Now, I know you'll amen this. He don't always answer them the way I wished he would. He doesn't. But he answers them to his pleasing and perfect will, which I would much rather have than mine because I know this wicked heart and the way it thinks sometimes. And I thank, I thank God that he knows what's best for all of us. But he heard his prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Oh, the barrenness will be over. I mean, his name's not going to be Zechariah Jr., but who cares, right? Who cares? His name's John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. His birth will be the sign of the actual coming of the promised Messiah. He will be great before the Lord, just like Colton read Matthew eleven eleven. Christ said about him, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He must not drink wine or strong drink as I drink. Many interpreters understand this passage to consist of a lifelong Nazarite vow for John. Conservative scholars are divided on this issue. Some think it was, some think it wasn't. I don't know that we have enough information to really know that it was or wasn't. It certainly seems like it was. If you go to Numbers chapter 6, you will see this. It is, you can go to your Bible and read it. It's clear, as, it's just plain as day. Number one, they were not supposed to have wine or strong drink. There was no partaking of the vine at all during their vow. No razor was, was to touch the head, and there was not to be any contact with the dead body. So now the angel does not mention the other two elements, but he clearly instructs Zechariah to raise his son in conformity to a lifelong prohibition from wine and strong drink. No intoxication, no intoxicants for the herald of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible's very clear about that. 
Here's the one that's going to take your breath away. The next one. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You finish the sentence. Even. Mmm. Mmm. Y'all grunt. Mmm. Yeah, this one's tough. But seems to be placed here as an indicator of what John is to be filled with. John was not to be filled with what? Wine. John was to be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. But the text goes further than that. The text goes further than that. How do we explain this passage away? And the answer is, we don't. We don't explain it away. We don't spin it so that we feel better about it. We have to accept it the way it is written in the text. John did not make a decision to follow Christ. I figured y'all wouldn't be no amens to that. He didn't. He did not. God chose John before he was born to be the herald of the Messiah. I mean, did you read the text? John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit, say it again, even from his mother's womb. Very few commentators will touch this. Very few will touch it. I'll touch it. I'll grab it. I'll believe it. I'll preach it. I'll run with it. I'll put it on my Facebook page. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do anything. Why, why will I do that? Because the Bible says it's true. And my advice to you is, give up. Just give up. Just read the text and believe it and accept it and move on. Amen? Move on. John had the Holy Spirit when he was still in his mama's womb. God deemed it so. Who am I to argue with him? I ain't going to argue with him. You can all you want to. I'm not. You know why? Because I lose. Amen? So will you. We will lose. Filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Accept it. Be humbled and in awe over it. Allow it to cause you to drop to your knees and be thankful you know the God who did it. Amen? Amen. Verse 7, he will turn, turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, disobedient to the, to the, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready the Lord a people prepared. So the angel is telling him beyond a shadow of a doubt, telling Zechariah, the father of this great child, that one of the key signs in the Old Testament that points to the coming of the Messiah and the initiation of the new covenant is now here and is embodied in his son, soon to be born, John the Baptist. Malachi 4, 5 and 6, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a degree of utter destruction. 
So John's birth and ministry is the fulfillment of Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Do you know how blessed you are to know that? Does that even, does that even, is, is it even a hiccup in your life to understand that you have the knowledge in 21st century America of a prophecy that was written hundreds, thousands of years before you were born and you know the person that fulfilled it, you know him, you know his wife, you know the division of the priesthood he served in, you know where he was, you know who was on the throne at the time. And, I mean, you know all that. Do you know how blessed you are? To know that. Not to mention the fact that you're saved by the one that the forerunner would proclaim. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, (laughs) What did he say? Yeah. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So an angel has appeared before Zechariah. Just follow the, this. This is, this is Shelby 101 just coming at you as I'm reading the text. And, and I may be being hard on Zechariah. I really may be, okay? But, I, but I'm going to tell you what I think about this. So, so an angel has appeared before Zechariah in one of the most credible ways an angel possibly could, Right? This is at the height of Zechariah's career as a priest. He has been chosen by Lot to be the one to offer the incense. So the angel knew he was coming, amen? I mean, Zechariah being there wasn't no surprise to the angel. He knew he was coming to be in foreordained for the foundation of the world to be there and meet with Zechariah to announce John's coming. He's, he knows that, he knows that. During the incense offering inside the temple, in between the altar of incense and the menorah. This is not a robocall, Amen. It's not a robocall. It's not a telemarketer. It's not a scam. It's not a warranty call for your car. (laughs) Kill them all. No, don't. No, I'm just kidding. It's not a warranty call for your car. This is an angel of God sent from the heavenly realm to bring Zechariah a critical message about two incredible events that are about to take place bound together in the child he and Elizabeth were about to have. And how does he respond? I'm too old. Don't any of y'all ever say that. I don't care how old you get. You understand? God can still use you. If you are above ground, your heart's beating and you got life and you love him, don't ever say I'm too old, ever. Because then what happens is God strikes you mute, amen? Now, if this man, more Shelby for you, more Shelby thoughts, okay? If this man had not been a priest of Israel, And if he had not been married to one of the daughters of Aaron, we, I, may could cut Zechariah some slack. Maybe could. I mean, maybe the memory of the miraculous births of Sarah, Hannah, Samuel's mother, or Rachel, maybe he just couldn't fathom that he and Elizabeth could possibly be included in that list of those that God had blessed with a promised child from a barren womb. Zechariah doubts the angelic messenger from God. And let me just give you some friendly, personal, pastoral advice. The only time 
my brothers and sisters, that you ever argue with an angel sent from God is if that angel sent from God teaches you a different gospel. That's the only time that you ever argue with an angel sent from God. If he tells you that you're barren and you're going to have a child, what do you say? Thank you. <laughs> Not I'm too old. Thank you, God. Thank you. That's what you say. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Now surely, surely, brothers and sisters, when that name Gabriel was said, surely something clicked. Right? I mean, he knew Daniel. He knew the prophet Daniel. He's a priest. He should, he should know this. He should know about that. So, so surely as a priest, he remembered the prophecy of Daniel. I mean, we just studied Daniel the past two weeks on Wednesday night. Gabriel was the angel that gave Daniel the vision about the end times. Gabriel came to Daniel while Daniel was in prayer at the time of the evening sacrifice. He didn't put that together. He didn't put that together. So Gabriel was sent by God to Zechariah as he was sent to Daniel to speak to you and bring you this good news. I, I, I'm sorry that I get so frustrated with Zechariah. I really am. I probably would be the same way. You know, I probably would. I probably would. And oh, by the way, Zechariah, you wanted to sign a way to know that what I speak is the truth, verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. God struck Zechariah with muteness. Muteness, made him mute. Took away his ability to speak and he would have this disability, how long? All the way until John was what? Born. How many months is that? Can y'all imagine me not talking for nine months? Some of y'all would go praise Jesus, right? Angie would say praise Jesus. My kids would definitely say praise Jesus. Unless, Daddy, can I have $10? You know, then they want me to write it out, you know, a piece of paper for them. But, but it, it, nine months. So, so most likely a year or more because we don't know from that time frame how long it was before Elizabeth got pregnant. So at least nine months, maybe 10, maybe 11, maybe 12. I mean, that is a powerful way to, to extinguish doubt. Would you agree with that? Powerful way. Make the unfaithful doubter mute for a year. I mean, wouldn't that be great if all of us who didn't believe God's word became mute for a while? Don't you think? That would be really cool. You don't, you don't believe what God says, hit the mute button on your mouth for nine months. Make you scribble out your words on paper for a year. Get mad and have to, you know, write it down real fast. I mean, that would certainly be a sanctifying trial, and that was the purpose of this for Zechariah. It was a sanctifying trial. When you doubt and you disobey God, if God loves you, he brings a sanctifying trial into your life. That's what he does. And for Zechariah, he couldn't speak. 
Hard to function as a priest if you can't speak. And he couldn't speak. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Back up to verse 10 and you see the context here. I didn't make a, I didn't make a mention of this. I saved it to the end. Verse 10 says, and the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So you've got all these these Israelites gathered together in the temple courts while Zechariah is inside the, ho- the holy place. Not the most holy place, but the holy place. He is offering the incense offering. They are all outside praying, and then he is supposed to come out and rejoin them and bless them with their ironic blessing. Well, he's been taking a long time. He hadn't come right back out. So when the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. So as you study The history of incense, the incense offering process, you learn that normally this process happened rather quickly. I mean, it didn't get drawn, it wasn't drawn out. The priests were not trained to go in there and what? Look at their cell phone while the incense was burning, right? That's not what they did. They didn't make a couple Facebook posts and take a picture of the incense while it was burning and go back out. They made the offering, they prayed, and they got out. You know why? Because every moment that they spent in there, they they were at risk for their lives. If they do something the wrong way, they touch something the wrong way, guess what? Lights out, baby. To heaven you go. So they went in. They made the offering. They got out. But Zechariah was still in there. They were growing concerned. What's going on? When, When they came out, the priest chosen by Lot for the offering was to pronounce the ironic blessing. And it goes like this. The Lord bless, you've heard this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. But he comes out, they notice something's weird. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his service of time was ended, he went to his home. So, so he comes out with the other priests. The other priests go up and they make, they make the ironic blessing, okay? And then people are looking at him because he's the priest that was, that, was, that was chosen by. I mean, this was a big deal, once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. His family was probably there. His friends were probably there. I mean, this was, there was probably a big potluck fellowship afterwards. You know, it would be like his Baptist life. So, I mean, he's, he comes out there, and everybody's waiting to hear him say this incredible blessing of Aaron for the first and only time in his life. And he comes out, and he's, he's, you know, he's like this, you know, and he can't talk. And so he's signing to people, you know, angel by the altar of incense angel menorah and 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 you know he's trying to do all and so they realized he had seen he had seen a vision a vision from god and so he leaves and then verse 24 and 25 as we close after these days his wife elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden saying thus the lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So after these days, what happened? Elizabeth what? Say it louder, like you mean it. She got pregnant. Hallelujah. Pregnant. She keeps herself hidden. We don't, we don't know why. We, there, this, we can't tell from the text. We, we, we think you can maybe 
speculate based on the next verse that, that as we know back in those days, women were, as we know, antagonized when they couldn't have children. And perhaps she was so tired of that. So when she got pregnant, some people think maybe she went into hiding until the baby began to show in her belly. And then she came out so the reproach would be gone from her and people would be celebrating the fact that she was pregnant. So what do we see from Elizabeth, unlike what we saw from Zacharias? We see joy, joy, because now God has removed her barrenness and blessed her with a child, and her son would be the one to make straight the pathway of the Lord. And you shall call him John. Let us pray. Lord, we're so humbled and thankful to, ha to have the privilege of having this story in your word. A story of the divine and the human intersecting, bringing to completion a prophecy over hundreds and hundreds of years. John the Baptist, being born from a barren womb, the one that would come to make straight the pathways for the Lord. The one who we will read about next week and in coming weeks that will preach repentance of sins and baptism. The forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, I pray what we gain from this true story today is that God, that you complete and keep your promises. And you are the only one that any of us can truly expect and depend on to fulfill and complete your promises. And you have completed that promise in sending your son, Jesus Christ. It would be, he would be what John was, what his life was all about the Lamb of God that has come to take away the sin of the world. And as we close today, O oh Lord, we pray that if that there's one here that does not know him, we pray that through the conviction of your spirit and the preaching of your word, that deep conviction would come upon the heart and the conscience and that they would come to a place of repentance and faith and belief in you, Lord Jesus, because only you can save, only you. There is no other name. So Father, we ask at this moment, if anyone is here that does not know you and wants to know you, that they would come and profess you and accept you today. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for a time of response?
much for your attention. Um, let me make a couple of announcements, and then uh, Colton, you can come finish out, brother, with the announcements, if you don't mind. You all right over there? Okay. Uh, would you all sit down for just a second? I need you to sit down just so I can do this one thing. If you are, if you are back in church for the first time, like in a long time, would you stand up and be recognized for us? I know it's embarrassing, but you can do it. Come on. Hey, there we go. All right. Hallelujah. Welcome back to the flock of the Lord Jesus. We understand the COVID thing has been weird, but I'm hoping that virus keeps on getting pushed back. Amen? Keeps on getting pushed back. Uh, let's see. We have a birthday coming up tomorrow, I was told about. Is that, uh, does that say Ed Garner? Is that what that says? It says Ed Garner. That says Ed Garner. No, I, I knew what it said. Ed Garner, the big double seven. Is that right? 77. Y'all wish Ed Garner a happy birthday. And you saw, you don't know this, I'm going to give this announcement because he told me personally, uh, the men's breakfast that normally meets at Bojangles on Friday has now been moved to Thursday. So if you've been going to that, don't go on Friday, go on Thursday. So the Bojangles uh, men's breakfast is on, Red Zone men's breakfast is on Thursday, not Friday. I want to give a Discover Parkway a tag, then I'll turn it over to you. Uh, we are trying to uh, make our membership a little bit more orderly and thorough. And so we tried to implement Discover Parkway last year, but COVID messed it all up. So we are trying to reinstitute that this year. So if you are interested in discovering more about Parkway, on April the 18th, we are going to have an event here that's going to start off with a breakfast, a continental breakfast. Then we'll, we'll invite you to go to a Sunday school class. By that time, I don't know if we'll have our new classes started yet or we'll still be in here. We're working on that just, just as hard as we can. Then you'll stay for worship. Then we're going to feed you lunch uh, somewhere. We'll figure that out. Think of that back room back there. We're going to feed you lunch. Then you'll come back in here for just a little while, and you're going to get to meet all the staff, and we're going to uh, just tell you who we are at Southern Baptist Church and let you ask any questions you want to from the staff, and then, then you'll get to go home, and we'll give you a package of stuff and a free gift. So uh, once again, Discover Parkway on April the 18th. So if you are interested in joining Parkway Baptist Church, just please sign up for that and, and be sure to be there and schedule that day to be here. Also, Congregation, if you have friends, family members, neighbors, co-workers, people that you would like to invite to that, please give us uh, their name and address, and we'll be sure they get invited to that. Okay? Colton, take it away. Yeah, I, I don't think I have anything else, so uh, I'm just going to pray for yeah, us. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, oh, uh, Easter service yes. times. Why don't you come up and give us a word on that, brother? Nine, 9 to 10.30. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Yeah. No, and, no, uh, no Sunday school, Easter Sunday morning. Yeah, no, we'll no uh, Sunday school uh, then. So if you're coming for a lesson, you won't get it that day. So, but you'll get a great service. So yes, and please be sure, if okay. you are a member, please stay for our business meeting directly after service. And uh, also just a reminder to parents, please uh, go and pick up your kiddos uh, before that business meeting starts. We'll start uh, just a little bit after the service ends, okay? So I'm going to pray. And then, guys, thank you so much for coming and worshiping with the Lord with us today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Uh, we just praise your holy name. Uh, God, we thank you for just such a great word uh, from Luke. And I just pray that it blessed everyone's heart like I know it did mine uh, today. And just, it's just encouraging to see that you, oh God, were orchestrating all of this mighty plan to bring your son into the world, uh, starting by bringing John the Baptist to make straight the pathway for you, Jesus Christ. And I just thank you. You are the grand orchestrator, Lord. You bring everything together so beautifully. And Father, I just pray that we would just be in awe 
more than anything else, oh God, I pray that we would just be enamored by your glory and that we would be drawn in and draw closer to you, oh Christ, because of everything that you've done for us. Lord, we love you. Help us to go outside of these walls ready to live for you. Lord, I know that there are people who are lost. God, there are people who, who don't know that there's abundant life that they could have. Like the woman at the well, Lord, when you interacted with her and gave her hope. Oh God, I pray that we would be your messengers, Lord. We would be your hands and feet in our community, Lord, where we find ourselves at work, oh God, at play, and all of these different things, Lord. Would you help us and guide us in this? We love you, Jesus. And it's in your strong name we pray. Amen.